Hello and welcome to This Is Your FBI from otrgold.com. This episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors. The Equitable Life Assurance Society presents This Is Your FBI. This Is Your FBI, the official broadcast from the files of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Presented transcribed as a public service by the Equitable Life Assurance Society of the United States and the Equitable Society's representative in your community. We Americans believe in providing for our own security without sacrificing our independence and self-reliance. That is why the Equitable Life Assurance Society of the United States numbers five million American families among its policyholders. The equitable way of assuring future security is the American way. 8,000 men represent the Equitable Society from coast to coast. In about 14 minutes, I'd like to tell you how one of these men may help you enjoy freedom from worry and peace of mind that may be yours with membership in the Equitable Society. Tonight, the subject of our FBI file, Impersonation. Its title, The Punch and Judy Shakedown. There have always been men who tried to make their way through life by cheating their fellow man. In good times and bad, they ply their trade scheming to steal anywhere from pennies to millions of dollars. Their victims come from every part of the country, from every level of society. The swindler whose case history from the files of the Federal Bureau of Investigation you are about to hear dramatized is perhaps the most contemptible of all swindlers, for he preys on the poor. In law enforcement language, he has a name, the Misery Chiseler. Like other swindlers, the misery chiseler is an opportunist. He takes advantage of every condition. To him, headlines are more than a summary of the news. They are the means by which he keeps his illegal activities up to date. By which he changes a 1910 swindle to reap a 1952 harvest. Tonight's FBI file opens in the shabby tenement district of a large eastern city. An elderly man is carefully packing a collection of punch and Judy equipment into a suitcase when a young girl enters the flat. Margaret, where you been? The teacher kept us after school. Ah, you were a bad girl? No, Grandpa. She made the whole class stay. Uh, <clears throat> come back to the dolls. Are we doing the show? The children's party. Don't you remember? Oh, I forgot. I'm sorry, Grandpa. Uh, I'm sorry, too. You should be out playing with the other children, not helping me make a living. I like working with you. And Princess, too. Hello, Princess. Hello. <laughs> Her arms were folded wrong. There. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> oh, Grandpa, will I ever be as good as you? Ah, Madras, to be good, you must work. And today, it's not a world for punch and duty. People are too busy running. <laughs> they don't stop now to laugh. It's a different world. We'll start to get jobs. You said yourself it's better in summer. I will see. Oh, 
you fixed Mr. Punch's head. Now I got brains. <laughs> Here they are, Ats. Did you put in the light? Yes. I answer it. Anthony Catula. That is me. Telegram. Sign here. Thank you. Grandpa, mm-hmm. what is it? It's about the rose. Aunt Rose? Mm-hmm. Is it from Europe? No. It's from a man named Mr. Kellogg. He says he has news about the rose, and it's very important. It uh, must be trouble. Maybe it's good news. Good news does not come in telegrams. What does Mr. Kellogg say? He is coming to see me tonight. Here? Here, nine o'clock. And we must be at the party then. Can't you call him? Well, I don't know where. This uh, this just says his name. Oh. Maybe Mrs. Tonetti can leave her door open and watch for him. Uh, you finish packing. I, I'll go ask her. <laughs> You get everything ready for the next act. All right. Uh, what is it about Rose? She wants to come back to the United States. Oh, she's sick? No, but she may have trouble. What kind of trouble? Mr. Cotula, it's a long story. I can't tell you everything now. When will you be finished here? In an hour. But please, Mr. Kellogg, she's my only sister. Can I help her? That's why I came to see you. I forgot the skirt for the princess. It was on the table. I didn't see it. Can I use your handkerchief? Yes. Yeah. Here. Oh, it's no good, Grandpa. I need a white one. Would you like to borrow mine? Can I, please? Surely. Here. Oh, thank you. I'll be real careful with it. Uh, Mr. Kellogg, you're sure Rose isn't sick? Now, don't worry about it. I'll see you at your apartment later and tell you the whole story. Sit down, Mr. Kellogg. Thank you. Madra, get Mr. Kellogg a glass of wine. Uh, No, thanks. I don't have much time, so I'll get right to the point. 
My work for the government took me to Europe last month, and I saw your sister. She's all right? Yes, but she asked me to give you a message. As I told you before, she wants to come to the United States. What? I, I do not understand. Three years ago, she went back to live out her years. Why does she want to come here again? Haven't you been reading the papers? Yes. But who can understand them? Your sister said there may be a complete political upheaval soon, and she's right. If there is, well, you know how those other people treat anybody with a family in America. Grandpa, what other people? Ah, you have time enough to learn when you get older. Mr. Kellogg, what can I do? Fortunately, I can arrange to have your sister brought here. That is, if you want me to. Sure, sure. All right. The charge is $300. How much? $300. If she was a citizen, there wouldn't be any charge. Oh, Grandpa's a citizen. That doesn't make any difference in this case. What if I can't pay? Then I'm afraid your sister will have to suffer. The government, it would leave her there? Mr. Catula, we can't bring people here free. It costs too much. As it is, the government loses money, but this way it doesn't lose everything. Well, I... See how much I have. Uh, Marja, uh, run and get the sugar bowl. All right. I would be glad to pay you, Mr. Kellogg, if my business was good. But uh, today, you know, all kinds of dolls you see on this this television for for nothing. Is there uh, something you could sell? Uh, my gold sword? Maybe somebody would buy that. Here, Grandpa. Oh, thank you, Marja. Turn it over. I'll count the silver. Five dollars, ten, seven, twenty-one, twenty-two. Here's a ten. <laughs> That's thirty-two. Huh? Thirty-three, thirty-eight, thirty-nine. That's all you have? Uh, uh, and twenty I, I get for tonight. That's fifty-nine. There's two dollars and a quarter here. Sixty-one. That leaves a balance of two hundred and thirty-eight dollars and seventy-five cents. Can you have it for me tomorrow? I try my best. <laughs> The following morning at the local FBI field office, Special Agent Taylor greets Police Detective Steve Austin. Steve, can you wait a few seconds? Oh, sure, Jim. I just want to finish this report. Oh, get ready to write another one. Oh, on what? A uh, misery Chisler, who's been operating around town for the past month or so. Who is he? I don't know. He used a different name each time. Here's his description. Thanks. And we raised these prints off the back of this picture of one of the victims. Mm-hmm. We don't have the prints in our files. Yeah, Washington, May. Well, if you can, I'd appreciate you putting a rush request on this, huh? Sure, Steve. I'll get it out to them today. Fine. Now, oh, what's the swindle? Well, he works the foreign-born sections, contacting poor families with a close relative in Europe, offering to get the relatives here so they won't fall into the hands of the communists. No. His charge is usually... $300. Steve, you went to the FBI National Academy, so I don't have to tell you we'll give you our cooperation, but we can't just step in and investigate unless we have jurisdiction. Well, you have now. Under what statute? Impersonating a federal officer. He added that part for the last victim. No. He showed her a white card with the words United States government on it and a small picture of the swindler in the corner. Mm. How many victims have there been? Uh, nine that we know about. Here are the names and addresses. Okay, thanks. I'll get in touch with you, Steve, as soon as I get any word from Washington. Grandpa, did you get the money? Yes, Mother. 
Oh, tell Aunt Bettina so she won't worry. How does Bettina know? She called before and I told her. Oh. That was all right, wasn't it? Sure, sure. Where did you get the money? Uh, from a pawn shop. I, I, I finally found a man who, who gave me $250 for the sword. Grandpa, was that sword really gold? Oh, yes, my child. I always thought you were fooling me. I answered. All right. You do your homework. Hello? Yes, Bettina. <laughs> oh, all right, for an old man. Yes, yes, yes I know. Uh, uh, what did she say? When? You still have it? I'll come over. Yes, yes, right away. Is something the matter with Aunt Latina? No, she got a letter today from Aunt Rose. I'm going over to see it. Aren't you going to wait for Mr. Kellogg? No, no, if he comes, tell him I'll be back very quick. The Federal Bureau of Investigation in Washington receives thousands of requests for help every day. Those requests come not only from FBI field offices, but also from state, county, and local law enforcement agencies to whom the facilities are available without cost. Every section of your FBI works speedily and efficiently, and within 24 hours after receiving the description and fingerprint information from Agent Taylor, a reply was put on the teletype. I'm glad you came by, Steve. We just got this report from Washington. Oh, they give us an ident? Yeah, the man's name is Pete Lombard. Huh? Now, what's his record? Five previous arrests. Oh, misery chiseling? Yeah, during World War II, he swindled families of dead servicemen, and before that, he uh, posed as a government collector of charity contributions. Yeah. yeah, he's running true to form. Lombard's originally from the West Coast. I teletyped our San Francisco office to see if they could get a lead for us. What's his pattern? Well, I haven't had time to study the record yet. How about pictures? They're being wire-folded. We should have them uh, within the hour. Fine. When they get here, let's call on one of the victims and double-check the ident. Okay. Oh, hello, Mr. Kellogg. Hello, young lady. Is your grandfather home? No, but he'll be back. And he got the money for you. That's fine. May I come in and wait? Oh, sure. Thank you. When will Aunt Rose come back? Very soon. That'll make Grandpa happy. You like your grandfather, don't you? Why, sure. He seems to be a very fine man. He is. And he's the best punch and judy operator in the whole world. I have to see your act sometime. I can work almost all the dolls now. Except maybe the Mary. The what? The Virgin Mary. That's why they're called marionettes. In the old days, they used to act out Bible stories in church, and the most beautiful doll was always Mary. So people started calling them marionettes, because that means little Marys. I never knew that. Oh, hello, Grandpa. Mr. Kellogg, I want to talk to you. I understand you have the rest of the money. Yes, but not for you. Hmm? I want my $61 back. You mean you're going to leave your sister at the mercy of those people? My sister? Oh, she's all right. And there's no trouble where she is. I just saw a letter she wrote. Here it is. I want my money back. You, you, you're a crook. Oh. I, I came to do you a favor, not to be called names. I'm leaving. Wait. Take your hands off of me. First, you pay me back. Let's go. I won't let you go. Grandpa, stop the line. Give me my money. Grandpa. 
We will return in just a minute to tonight's exciting case from the official files of your FBI. But right now, here's a message from Mr. Frank Harrison, a policy-holding member of the Equitable Life Assurance Society for two years. Would you tell our listeners, Mr. Harrison, what led you to join our Equitable Society? Well, one night, my wife and I were listening to this program, and we heard about a life insurance policy that appealed to us. So we got in touch with our local Equitable agent for more information. He didn't act like a salesman at all, more like a friend discussing a problem with us. But he really knew his business. He had all the facts and figures at his fingertips. And he showed us how we could get the right kind of insurance that fitted our budget and provided the kind of security we were looking for. What he seemed to be interested in most was in making sure we were satisfied. Well, that's the way equitable men are. They want every member to have the kind of policy that gives him the most for his insurance dollar. After all, equitable society representatives, all 8,000 of them, are insurance specialists. Life insurance is their career. And like any professional man, doctor or lawyer, they want to build up a satisfied clientele. That's just good business. Now, equitable men are not only specially trained, but they are backed up by a team of experts. These are the equitable home office actuaries, technicians, and economists, whose job is to serve the members and prospective members of equitable. And that's what I'd like to have all of our radio listeners remember. If you have an insurance problem... If you are planning for the future security and the peace of mind of yourself and your family, talk it over with the man who can help you most. Consult your local telephone directory for the name of your local equitable representative. Or write the Equitable Society, care of this station. That's E-Q-U-I-T-A-B-L-E. The Equitable Life Assurance Society of the United States. And now back to the FBI file, The Punch and Judy Shakedown. Your FBI knows that among the millions of people now listening to this program, there are a few who regard the criminal in tonight's case as clever. For he has swindled a handful of people out of some money. And he appears to have gotten away with it. This message, then, is directed at those few people and at any others, young or old, who might at some time in the future feel a temptation to follow the misery chiseler's example. Take the financial side of this picture only, forgetting for the moment the morals involved. In the most profitable year of his past criminal history, this criminal cheated people out of $7,000. When apprehended, he had in his possession slightly more than $5,600. That money was used to make partial restitution to his victims, leaving a total of some $1,400 which the criminal had spent. After his conviction, he was sentenced to serve six years, which meant that for those six years, he worked for the sum of 64 cents a day, or eight cents an hour. Tonight's FBI file continues at police headquarters. Special Agent Taylor is approaching Detective Austin's desk. Steve. Steve, we got another report on Lombard. From Washington? No, the San Francisco office did some checking for us. Lombard returned there after being released from jail six months ago, stayed with some friends, left there by train about a month and a half ago. Then he could have come directly here. He probably did. He's been working in town here for five weeks. Huh. There's no doubt now about it being him. Every victim has made a positive identification. I'm afraid he might be gone. No, I don't think so, Steve. We checked every hotel and rooming house. Yeah, I know. But according to his record, he usually stays in an area at least three months. Oh, pardon me, Mr. Oh, sure, Steve. Detective Austin, 
Yeah, that's right. What? They did when? Yeah. Uh, repeat that address, huh? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, I got it. Okay, right away. Thank you. Jim, that was the ninth precinct. They just had another complaint about Lombard. From where? A family at 71 Baker Street. Lombard slugged an old man named Catula. Let's get over there. Grandpa, does your head feel better? Uh, yes, Madra, but it's enough washing. These men, they're in a hurry. No, it's all right, Mr. Couture. You do what the doctor said. See, Grandpa, just what I told you. All right. But for now, we're finished. We have to wash it again in 15 minutes. Ah, Mr. Cotillo, you feel able to tell us the rest of that story? Yes. After you saw that letter from your sister saying everything was fine, what did you do? I come back here. I ask the man for my money. Then they had a fight, and he hit Grandpa on the head with a wine bottle. <laughs> that is why I... I cannot ask you to have anything. <laughs> I don't imagine Lombard said anything about where he was going, did he? No, sir. Did you ever mention where he was living? No. Well, that telegram he sent you, do you still have it? Here it is, Mr. Taylor. Oh, thanks very much. May we keep this? Oh, of course. Is there anything else you want to ask? No, Mr. Cotillo. If we have any more questions, we'll be back. <laughs> In swindle investigation, the most important thing to establish is the exact pattern of the criminal's operation. Agent Taylor and Detective Austin re-interviewed the victims, trying to establish some common denominator among them. A few evenings later, at the crippled children's ward of a local hospital, a benefit show is in progress. A benefit show being given by the great Cotula family. Can be important or of absolutely no value. Each case is different, but in every case, the same procedure is followed. After receiving evidence of this nature, it is immediately sent to Washington to the FBI laboratory. Any news, Jim? Yeah, we've got a couple of reports on that handkerchief. A couple? And the lab found an invisible laundry mark from a firm in San Francisco. Well, Lombard's hometown. That's right. But a check showed the handkerchief didn't belong to Lombard. It was sent to the laundry by a man named uh, uh, 
Uh, Arthur Gillespie. No? Another criminal? No, a legitimate citizen. He had his bag stolen during a trip east about six weeks ago. A train trip from San Francisco? Yeah, that's right. It's very possible he and Lombard are on the same train. Tell us that, Mr. Taylor. Oh, thanks very much. Another wire from the San Francisco office. Now, on Lombard? No, it's a bio on Arthur Gillespie. He's 47 years old, lawyer, civic leader, now field representative of OFORG. OFORG? The Overseas Food Organization. They oh. send those food packages to you? Oh, yes, of course, of course. Steve, they've got an office here in town. Maybe they've got the lead we want. Just a minute. Mrs. Denora? That is right. I'm Mr. Russell. Did you get my telegram? Oh, yes. Come in. Thank you. Sit down, please. All right. You have word about my brother? Yes. My work with the government took me to Europe last month, and I saw your brother. Oh, how is he? Fine, but he wants to come to the United States. Uh, you are with the government? The United States government. Uh, here, I'll show you my credentials. Oh, yes. I see. That's him. Huh? Yes, Mr. Taylor. Katula. Uh, what is it? We brought Mr. Catula and his granddaughter along to make a positive identification. He's running away. Oh, no, you don't. You got him, Steve? Uh, yeah, Jeff. Mr. Denor, I want to thank you for helping us. Oh, you are welcome. Now will Grandpa get his money back, Mr. Taylor? I think so, Madra. But we'll find out for sure at headquarters. Peter Lombard was convicted for a violation of the federal impersonation statute and sentenced to a term in a federal penitentiary. At the office of the Overseas Food Organization, Agent Taylor and Detective Austin secured a list of people who had sent food packages to relatives in Europe. On that list, in perfect order, were Peter Lombard's victims. By waiting at the flat belonging to the next person on the list, the two law enforcement officers were able to apprehend this misery chiseler. However, his arrest and conviction does not mean this type of swindling has been wiped out. This very minute, there are other criminals working equally detestable schemes. Your name may appear on some list. Almost everyone does, and you may be contacted. Your FBI can give you one piece of advice on how to avoid being victimized. If any stranger appears and offers to do an important favor for you, be cautious. Examine every element of the offer. And if you have the slightest doubt about any part of the story, call your local police. If the man is innocent, you have done him no harm by asking the police to help. If he is a misery chiseler, you will have removed another one from circulation. You will have saved yourself money and performed a public service. Remember that. When in doubt, call the police. Now I would like to leave you with this one thought. If your plans for the future include the security of your loved ones and peace of mind for yourself, then why not have a talk with your local equitable representative? He is the man who can help you most. He'll be glad to discuss your problems at any time and without any obligation to you whatsoever. Simply consult your local telephone directory for the name of your local equitable society representative.
Next week, we will dramatize another case from the files of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Its subject, fraudulent bankruptcy. Its title, Manhunt. The incidents used in tonight's Equitable Life Assurance Society's broadcast are adapted from the files of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. However, all names used are fictitious, and any similarity thereof to the names of places or persons, living or dead, is accidental. Tonight, the music was composed and conducted by Frederick Steiner. The author was Jerry D. Lewis. Your narrator was William Woodson, and Special Agent Taylor was played by Stacey Harris. Others in the cast were Bill Conrad, Helen Cleave, Dal McKinnon, Lou Merrill, Marion Richmond, Victor Rodman, and Anne Whitfield. This is Your FBI is a Jerry Devine production. This is Larry Keating speaking for the Equitable Life Assurance Society of the United States and the Equitable Society's representative in your community. And inviting you to tune in again next week at this same time when the Equitable Life Assurance Society will bring you another thrilling transcribed story from the files of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Manhunt on This Is Your FBI. Stay tuned for the adventures of Ozzie and Harriet. There's fun for the whole family when Ozzie and Harriet come your way next. This program came to you from Hollywood. America is sold on ABC, the American Broadcasting Company.